Welcome to the audio podcast of the Edward Jones Chatting Cage, the show where you can talk face-to-face with your favorite MLB players and personalities. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Edward Jones Chatting Cage. I am JB in the cage once again, setting it up for two experts, MLBPipeline.com draft experts and all-around life experts, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, who are there in Secaucus for the big draft. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? We're Do- fantastic. Doing good. You know, we'll not only answer your draft questions, but any relationship questions, we'll, we'll take those too. That's right. <laughs> this, is, this is the day that changes a lot of people right here. This is the MLBPipeline.com uh, version of the Edward Jones chatting cage. Folks, if you don't know how to do it, here's the deal. There's probably a green button on your screen. Press that button, get in line. Use your webcam, whatever device you're on to join us. The MLB Fans app, that's a way to do it live as well. I'll read comments from there. If you can't reach any of those things, but you can get to Twitter. Hashtag chatting cage is the question there. And then I will do my best to read it in your voice. That's part of the fun of the show. <laughs> I go to the MLB Fans app first, and it's a great question from Mookie MVP. Gentlemen, are there any Bryce Harper-type youngsters that teams are getting stoked on this year? No. I'll explain. I mean, not only does a Bryce Harper type of talent come along, maybe every ten years if you're lucky. If you're lucky, this draft does not have you know clear-cut guys at the top of the draft. It's kind of you know last year we thought it didn't have clear-cut guys at the top of the draft, and last year was a better crop at the top than this year. So no, unfortunately for the Phillies, no no Bryce Harper hanging out there somewhere. All right, there you have some of the early estimations of what this 2016 draft will look like. That is Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. I am JB. Fans, join us here in the show. Otherwise, it's just us three. There we go. we got a fan with us now. What's your name? Where you're from? What's your question for those gents? Hi, guys. I'm uh, Connor from Massachusetts. And uh, my question for you guys is, who's the most hyped-up player you've covered overall? Hmm. In the history of us covering the draft? The most hyped-up one you, you guys have ever done or seen. Well, I mean, Harper is probably the guy who, who got, you know, he was hyped up when he was in preschool. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were talking about him when he was really, really young, and, and, he, and he's lived up to the hype. I guess Steven Strasburg would probably be the other one who, uh, you know, in, in recent years, who has gotten, you know, that most, the most hype as the slam dunk. He's going to be the number one guy and lived up to it his junior year of college and, and then has obviously run with it since then. I mean, people don't realize Jonathan actually went to Bryce Harper's preschool and did a story on him back then. But <laughs> the, the first draft I covered in my first year of Baseball America in 1989, it was a totally different era where you obviously didn't have MLB Network and MLB didn't release all the picks. But Ben McDonald was pretty hyped. At that time, Ben McDonald was the most hyped prospect in draft history. You move forward, I think Mark Pryor kind of took that mantle from him. Mark Pryor well, was a big deal in 2001, and it was a great top of the draft in 2001. But, but like Jonathan said, the, the two biggest guys, back-to-back years, both Nationals picks. Strasburg, we knew from his sophomore year going forward, like we did with Ben McDonald, he was going to be the guy, and he lived up to it. He was spectacular as a junior. And then Harper, who had been on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was in high school, goes to junior college in what would have been his high school junior season. Right. And had you hit some 30-something home runs with wood bats, the hype was off the charts for him. And we've had other guys who've been touted since then, but Harper's going to be tough to match. We're, I mean, it's going to have to be somebody who is on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you in know, when uter- they're in utero. Yeah, basically. So, and, <laughs> and and Jonathan will be there in the obstetrician's office doing a story on that too. Absolutely once right. we know who that guy is. Look, it looks like he's a switch hitter. No. So many. So many disturbing images in one answer. Thank you guys for that. I appreciate it. We're here for you, JB. You guys are the best. All right, I go back to the MLB Fans app. Fans, get fired up. Uh, get a question and get an answer like that. That's what the Chatting Cage is all about. We appreciate that, of course. Uh, here's from Lou I, from what, if I'm guessing that right, or Louie. I don't know how you say it. Uh, there's no E. 
I love watching your show. Huge fan. My question to you, Mr. Callis and Mr. Mayo, what are the Atlanta Braves trying to draft this year? Well, I think what the Braves are trying to do, and it's no secret, is they pick third. They have the third highest bonus pool in the draft. They have a supplemental first-round pick. They have a supplemental second-round pick. They're hoping to get the best player possible at three and then have some very talented players fall to them at 40 and 44 and beyond because they're going to be able to pay heavily at those picks. I think we're both hearing the same thing at three right now. If the top two picks, as we expect as of this moment, but certainly could change, Mickey Moniak at one and Nick Senzel at two, I think we both think that the Braves are leaning towards Corey Ray, the Louisville outfielder, but they really like Ian Anderson, the New York high school right-hander, and would love to get him at 40, but I don't think he's going to get to 40, so they may have a decision to make there. If they really want Ian Anderson, they may have to take him at three. But right now, you know, I would guess Corey Ray, and I would expect if there's a, a big-money, talented player who falls to 40 and 44, the Braves are going to be on him. Yeah, I mean, the, the Ian Anderson stuff won't go away. There are a lot of teams up top who are really sort of kicking the tires on, making deals, saving more money, uh, and then having even more to spend in, in those later picks for, for guys who sign because of signability. But we both did have Corey Ray uh, in, in our latest mock uh, that went up late last night, early this morning. This is the Edward Jones Chatting Cage. I am going to continue the coverage here on social media. Uh, a good question here, I think, from Wriggling13. Gentlemen, how will the Padres use their three first-rounders? You know, I think maybe more than any other team, the Padres are, are kind of a wild card. Uh, they're liable to go in, in any direction. Uh, they do or have shown a, a willingness or a tendency to, to go for high upside. Uh, because they have the three first-round picks, like we were talking about with Atlanta, they do have the ability to, to be creative and, and flexible and, and aggressively go after guys who might be tougher signs. Um, you know, so it really depends on what directions they want to go. We both had Jason Groom, the high school lefty from New Jersey, going number eight to the Padres. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Cal Quantrill, uh, the Stanford right-hander who hasn't uh, pitched in a long time. Uh, three starts a sophomore year, none this year. He had Tommy John surgery. Uh, and uh, as a potential at either eight or at 24, uh, that would be another kind of thing where if they really want him and they don't think he's going to get to them at 24, maybe they, they go and take him, take him at 8. Yeah, the Potters are in good position because they have three of the first 25 picks. So they pick, they don't have quite as much money to spend as the Phillies, the Reds, and the Braves, right. but they get their second and third picks before those teams do. So they are in probably the best position to get a guy who falls. <clears throat> Matt Manning's another name we've heard with them. Right. Um, I could see Riley Pint possibly at 8. It might be in the mix there. They're, they were the team that was on Delvin Perez before his reported positive test for PEDs at eight. He was, I think, strongly played eight. And I think they'd be a team. I don't think Delvin Perez is going to go with somebody's first pick, but I think he could go with somebody's second pick where you mitigate the risk a little bit. And he could get to, I mean, it's not out of the question if everything fell into place that they could get somebody like Jason Groom at eight, Matt Manning all the way down at 24, and even Delvin Perez. They could, they could get three high, very high ceiling players with those picks. Those are all three, you know, talent-wise, top 10 caliber kind of guys. Right. Yeah, and Cal Quantrill would be another one. So, I mean, yeah. they, could, they, could, they could really make some noise there in the first 25 picks. Uh, it sounds like they are going to try to make some serious noise with those three picks in that first 25. Another fan joins us. What's your name? Where are you from? What is your question? What, what's up, guys? I'm Brendan from New Jersey. Uh, which of this year's prospects do you think uh, can reach, reach the majors first? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a name, and I'll, I'll go with Nick Birdie. I keep doing this. Zach Birdie. Nick Birdie's his brother who was a second-round pick two years ago by Twins. Zach Birdie, Louisville closer, right-hander, 
fastball approaches 100. He's got a good slider. I, I, I think you could see somebody, wouldn't surprise me if a contender took him, expedited him to the big leagues this year for bullpen help. And the next year, he's got a third pitch, and he throws enough strikes that he could wind up being a starter. You could, you could maybe Chris Sale, Brandon Finnegan, or you could just leave well enough alone and say we're going to groom this guy as a closer in the short term. But uh, he's the one guy that I think has the best chance to be in the big leagues this year. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. I think that there are not a lot of guys in this year's class who are those, boy, this guy's going to make a, a beeline like this year to the, the big leagues. He's probably the only guy who's going to go in the first couple of rounds who I think even has any chance to, to make it to the to the big leagues. Invariably, there's some like left-handed reliever who might, uh, you know, get up there at some point who gets taken later on. So, you know, in in terms of speed to the big leagues, you know, I guess a guy like Nick Senzel, maybe of the college hitters, uh, just because of his advanced approach, won't take that long. But even a guy like that, he's not going to uh, get there all that quickly. Uh, I mean, obviously guys like Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Michael Conforto, uh, those guys got there pretty quick. So that, that's setting the bar pretty high. But Senzel does have that kind of advanced approach where it may not take him that long to, to be big league ready. All right, there you have it, folks. Thoughts on who might be the most impactful on the major league level quickest. We go now to the EDJ question of the day. Gentlemen, what was the most surprising first round that you have ever covered? The most hmm. surprising first round? Uh, well, you know, I think maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go with 2012, just because that jumps out in, in terms of the, the new era, mostly because no one knew what the Houston Astros were really going to do. And we didn't really know about Carlos Correa going number one overall until fairly late. Um, you, you know, obviously with what he's done since then, uh, it, it's turned out to be a really good draft. But, you know, the Astros were the first to kind of really show a way to, to use the draft pool uh, successfully because they were aggressive later on by the money they saved with Correa and they got an unbelievable talent. So I think just because of that uh, shock factor and Correa was here in Secaucus for the draft added to the, to, to the excitement of it, uh, th that's what jumps out to, in my mind. You know, I was thinking of 2012 also. It was the first year of the bonus pool system. Mark Appel, we thought, was going to go number one and he wound up going eighth. Uh, Carlos Correa was a surprise at one. Going back a little further, uh, 2000 was the other year that stuck out for me. It was it was maybe the worst first round in the 25 years or so I've been covering the draft, and there's just people were all over the place. You weren't sure what to expect. It's funny. Adrian Gonzalez went number one, and was considered a signability pick, and the Marlins denied that. Although they signed him before the second round was even done, right. so like hmm, quick negotiations. But you, you just had real disagreement about who's going where. You know, you, Matt Harrington. Some people thought he was the best player. He went seventh. Why not not signing? And it was just, it was, it was very hard to get a read on that draft. Remember, Scott Hurd was a guy that was talked about possibly going number one in the Marlins, and he went in the 20s. So 2000 would be the other year, if I, if I get in the Wayback Machine a little bit, uh, that one jumps out. Great answers there, 2000-2012, uh, uh, to the EDJ question of the day. We go back now to Twitter. Uh, Walt007 wants to know, who is the riskiest prospect with the most upside? Well, I think there's probably two answers here. Uh, and I bet Jonathan will just elucidate on the guy. I don't take. I, I think it's Jason Groom. I mean, he's the top-rated prospect on our MLB pipeline list. He was when we did the list in December and in April and again in May. He's a lefty. You love the fastball. You love the curveball. There's some real maturity questions with this guy. He just decommitted from Vanderbilt, now going to Chipola Junior College. Uh, 
people are trying to figure out what exactly that means. And, and, and he can, I don't know where he's going to go today, Jonathan. I think we both projected him going eight to the Padres yeah. right now. I think Oakland's in play at six, but he could drop 10, 15 picks beyond that. And I was talking to a scouting director last night who said part of the problem with him is, one, you got to figure out what you want to do with him makeup-wise, but there's a bunch of teams in the back half of the first round who never thought that he'd be in play. And so they, even though they, they did a little digging on the homework, you, you didn't do a thorough investigation. You haven't of, met of, with him, things yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, because you didn't think he was going to get to him, and now there's not time. Right. So we'll see. I think, I think it's Jason Groom. If he went six or eight, it wouldn't surprise me. If he fell all the way to one of the big pool teams outside the first round, 40, that wouldn't surprise me either. Right. The other guy, obviously, is Delvin Perez, uh, who we you know talked about before, uh, failed the drug test for a performance enhancer. Uh, this was a guy who was not that long ago mentioned as high as you know maybe even number two to the Reds. Uh, there was some real interest there. Certainly number five to the Brewers, number eight to the Padres. So uh, a really talented guy who's going to stay at shortstop. Uh, the positive test just leaves a lot of questions, you know, again, about maturity and decision-making. But also, you know, we heard from some people, this is a guy who's, whose tools seem to get better. How much of whatever it is that this test was about played into that. So, but there's still a, a lot of ability there. Um, and then if you want to just throw in a, you know, not as much of a wild card, a guy like Riley Pint, just because the high school right-hander, uh, he may have the most upside of anybody in the entire draft. There's 102 miles an hour. High schoolers who throw that hard invariably in, you know, have elbow surgery. It, it, there's a track record for that. So that just uh, on the surface with no off-the-field issues is a guy who's sort of a high-risk, high-reward. And I'll even say, remove the word might. Riley Pint does have the highest ceiling in this draft. But there's delivery questions, fact. control questions. fact. <laughs> but if, if, if every one of these guys is as good as they can be, he, he's going to be unbelievable. Yep. Uh, there you have, folks. Those are uh, excellent insights into the three guys that uh, offer some pretty big upside, but some pretty big risk as well. We go back now to social media. I'm going to go to Twitter this time from Macintosh Arthur. Gentlemen, I was curious with the importance of pitching. Has any team ever drafted all hurlers in one draft? Or do you know who drafted the most pitchers in a draft? Get out your spreadsheet, John. Yeah, yeah off the, the top part. of my head, that's a tough one. I will say, like, oh, I remember, ball. what was it? Uh, was it two years ago, the Twins? Just a bunch of relievers. Loaded up on, on arm strength relievers. Uh, like, I, I want to say four or five of them. Uh, you know, some of them, maybe, you know, maybe they tried to start and then they moved back into the bullpen. But uh, yeah, invariably, there are teams every year that go really, really heavy and take, you know, nine of their first ten picks as pitchers. You know, it's a, the draft is a great way to, to, to load up on pitching. And that whole axiom that you can never have enough of that, it's true. You know, the draft's 40 rounds now. It used to be unlimited picks. Nobody has ever taken all pitchers. Mm -hmm. the, the, the draft I was thinking of, and I guess I'm thinking of way back in yesteryear now, but 1990, the A's were coming off World Series championship. They had four, I believe, first round picks, and they famously took the four aces, none of whom became aces. Uh, Todd Van Poppel, who was supposed to go number one, everybody couldn't believe the Braves passed on him to take some kid named Chipper Jones. Todd Van Poppel, Kirk Dressendorfer might be the best competitor ever, saw at the college level, but got hurt. Um, boy, he could really pitch, though. Dave Zancanaro, and the fourth guy's last name was Peters, and for some reason, I want to say Donnie Peters. But anyway, I they, they can't believe you don't. Remember we had a very, his first we had cover baseball America. These guys holding aces, four aces, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, the the, the A's are stacked." They got Todd Van Poppel to fall to 14, and didn't quite work out. That I want way. to point out there are no notes in front of us right now. He just pulled that out of yes. his head. I yeah, but see, I can remember 1990 better than I can remember 2016 now. So well, fair enough. That's just that, there you go. That's one of the, that's a bit of trivia for those who are playing along <laughs> in the Jim Callis trivia show. He knows these years better than others. 
This is the Edward Jones Chatting Cage. That's Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. I'm JB. Those gentlemen from MLBPipeline.com are answering and fielding as many questions as you have about this draft. We have a fan with us now. What's your name? Where you're from? What's your question? Hey, how are you? I'm uh, Mike from Philadelphia. Where are you guys? We're good. We're good. Good. Uh, quick question. Um, do you guys see Zach Gallon, the right-hander from uh, North Carolina, going day one? Zach Gallon? Um, he could. You know, he really could. He's not he, – he's got good, not great stuff. It's not like wow stuff where it's 95 and a hammer. But Zach Gallon was in the North Carolina rotation, the weekend rotation from day one as a freshman, been very consistent. It, it's not a great year for college pitching. You know, if, if I had to guess, I, I think he does go in the second round. There, there just aren't a lot of college pitchers, and while he might not, you know, throw you mid-90s, it's solid stuff and really good pitchability. And, and, you know, when I say pitchability, he's not a finesse guy. It's not like he's throwing 88. So, yeah, if, if it comes to it, I think Zach Allen goes – I think he goes in the second round today. All right. And and invariably, yeah, invariably what happens is, you know, those kind of college performers, the quote-unquote sort of safer picks, do float up a little bit more than maybe where – you see them in talent rankings. Uh, so I, I, I agree with Jim. I think he is the kind of guy you could see maybe more towards the tail end uh, of, uh, of activities this evening. All right. Well, that is great insight. As we said before, the latest mock draft is available on MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. Guys, you have a good time in the cage? Work out for you? Always a good oh, yeah. time, JB. All right. A pleasure talking to you. Uh, you are wise beyond your years. And I, I look forward to your coverage throughout this uh, MLB draft here in 2016. Thanks for being with us, guys. Thanks, JV. Always a pleasure with them. Always a pleasure with you, fans. We'll see you next time on the next round of the Edward Jones Chatting Cage.